Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? <laughs> and Glenn Leverens. This is Morning Air. That's how I know. <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Friday, March 3rd. Good morning. Welcome back to another edition of Morning Air on the Feast of St. Catherine Drexel. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverens and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Uh, it's great to be with you on this first Friday as we get ready for the weekend and the second Sunday of Lent. Let's uh, remember the sacred heart of Jesus today as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ on this first Friday. Pray the Stations of the Cross uh, sometime today if you can. Again, a big welcome to all of our new Relevant Radio listeners in Metro Detroit, Michigan. Uh, this week, Relevant Radio, 1030 a.m. went on the air in the Motor City and Metro Detroit, along with four other FM stations uh, in the area. Of course, you can get a complete list of all of the relevant radio stations in Michigan and across the country at relevantradio.com or on our relevant radio mobile app. Be sure to tell all your friends and family, everybody you know uh, in the Detroit and Ann Arbor area to tune in and make relevant radio a part of your Lenten journey. Once again, a welcome aboard if you've just uh, discovered us. Now, today is the Feast of St. Catherine Drexel, uh, the Philadelphia heiress who abandoned uh, her family's fortune to found uh, the Orders of the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament, which is uh, dedicated to serving the poor African-American and American Indian populations of the U.S., I want to bring in our morning air team, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, a big story here uh, this morning that's been brewing uh, for weeks, uh, making headlines here on this Friday morning. Yeah, verdicts in for a high-profile murder case in the South, in South Carolina. Alex Murdaugh scheduled to be sentenced today. The once wealthy, high-profile South Carolina lawyer faces 30 years to life in prison without parole. He was found guilty Thursday of murdering his wife and son, Prosecutors said Murdaugh was about to be exposed for stealing millions from his clients and committed the murders to gain sympathy. The jury came back within hours following weeks of testimony. Murdaugh says he lied to police about where he was the night of the murders, stole money from clients, and was addicted to drugs as well. Yeah, we have uh, some uh, audio of uh, the moment that the verdict uh, came down. The state of South Carolina, County of Colleton, the state versus Richard Alexander Murdaugh defendant, Indictment for murder, verdict guilty, signed by the four lady, 3-2-23. I'm Alan Wilson, I'm South Carolina's Attorney General, and our criminal justice system gave a voice to Maggie and Paul Murdoch, who were brutally mowed down and murdered on the night of June 7, 2021, by someone that they loved and someone that they trusted. Glenn, um, it took uh, six weeks for this trial, but it took the jury uh, less than three hours uh, to find Murdoch guilty of murder on all four counts. Uh, this guy, uh, 
with a history uh, of lying and cheating and stealing, uh, clearly had a motive. He had the opportunity, and the alibi that he came up with made no sense and was totally exposed, uh, especially because of uh, the Snapchat video, which uh, clearly you could hear his voice in the background. So uh, it's just an unbelievable uh, a story that uh, a lot of people have been following. We haven't talked about it much here on this show. I was waiting uh, to see exactly uh, how it would turn out. Uh, but uh, I think that perhaps uh, Murdoch, uh, who is a, a personal uh, uh, injury attorney taking the stand uh, on his own behalf, uh, may have been, uh, you know, the, the, the final thing that, that led to him being found guilty. He, he did not sell. The, the jury did not buy what he was selling. So um, it's, a, it's an unfortunate situation. The sentencing will be happening a little bit later uh, this morning at 930 Eastern Time, a minimum 30 years uh, to life. Yeah, yeah, you've said it all there, John. Uh, they really weren't uh, weren't buying his story to, to come back that quickly after so many weeks of, uh, of testimony in the trial as a whole uh, with a guilty verdict. And, Glenn, I think from a spiritual perspective, there's so many lessons there. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter your status. Uh, you sow what you reap, as Scripture says, and um, clearly— uh, uh, very unfortunate uh, for uh, for the for the for that family uh, for him uh, uh, for the surviving son. Uh, it's it's just a, a terrible tragedy. Yeah, always hard to imagine uh, doing that to your own family. It's un- unthinkable. Um, and meanwhile, um, Walgreens is in the news this morning. Yeah, that's right. Uh, just a few days ago, we had uh, Eric Seidler from the Pro Life Action League on, as we do regularly, but uh, talking about some protests against Walgreens and CVS, uh, making it very, very easy to get uh, abortion medication over the counter, as it were. But uh, the uh, Walgreens uh, corporate has said uh, they won't dispense abortion pills in some 20 states, where uh, re- largely Republican attorneys general have said, uh, nope, we don't want this here. And uh, so they're, uh, they're pulling that. So the pressure uh, from uh, uh, the pro-life movement, the, the pressure from the letter uh, from the uh, Family Research uh, Council uh, from Tony Perkins clearly has made a difference. Uh, so uh, the battle continues. Yeah, absolutely. And, and anything that can you know, slow down that process, uh, give a woman another minute or two to think about what's going on, uh, saves lives. So that's some very good news. Um, one other note. Uh, yesterday I had the opportunity uh, to interview uh, in-depth a uh, two-time Super Bowl uh champion of the Kansas City Chiefs, Harrison Butker. Uh, the, the guy is an amazing uh, professional athlete with a sincere, very deep faith in our Lord, our Lady, the Holy Eucharist, uh, the Catholic faith. Uh, he shared it all, and uh, that interview will be coming up uh, in hour number two uh, around 7.30. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, this guy is the real deal. Uh, he's, he's as impressive a professional athlete uh, who's Catholic as I've ever met. Hey, looking forward to that. For sure. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Really appreciate it. Hey, sure thing, John. We always start every morning in prayer, always uh, giving thanks for all the many blessings, uh, and always through the intercession of uh, the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit uh, when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, even though we're wrapping up this first week of Lent, if you haven't signed up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass, it's still not too late, folks. You can do it this morning at relevantradio.com slash Lent. In the words of Father Rocky, get ready to learn the Mass, live the Mass, and love the Mass more than ever before. It's totally free. relevantradio.com slash Lent. Now, according to our next guests, the Catholic Church recognizes the crucial role of St. Joseph that he assumed in the lives of our Lord Jesus and our Blessed Mother Mary, uh, especially here in this month of March in which we honor uh, all the many virtues uh, by uh, addressing him with uh, several illustrious uh, titles. In fact, we have an entire litany with over 20 distinct uh, attributes dedicated to imploring St. Joseph's assistance and intercession. Joining us live from downtown Manhattan in New York City is Morning Air contributor Redemptorist Father Bob Pagliari to talk about St. Joseph the Teacher. Father Bob is a professor of theology and communications at St. John's University. Uh, He also writes a monthly online column called Holy Homework for thegoodnewsroom.org, which uh, formerly was the Catholic New York, the newspaper of the Archdiocese of New York. Good morning, Father Bob. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you on this first Friday. Good morning, John. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, listeners. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure and an honor really to be here, especially here in the month of March, uh, dedicated, as everyone knows, to St. Joseph. And uh, this is a special place in my heart (laughs) as a teacher uh, because he is a teacher, was a teacher of the, the child Jesus, uh, taught him crafts, uh, taught him how to uh, do woodworking. Uh, in fact, you remember the people in in town when they saw Jesus come back as an adult, they go, where did he get all this uh, wisdom that he has as a rabbi? Isn't this the carpenter's son? <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't he be, you know, planing wood or something like that? So uh, this, one of the titles that's not uh, in the litany of St. Joseph is uh, the tutor of God. And that's really what St. Joseph was. He was God's tutor. We don't think of him, we don't cheat or hear too much of him, of course, in in the Bible, unfortunately. Uh, I think he was quiet, and that's a wonderful virtue, especially nowadays, uh, to have. So if we tend to be overly uh, exasperated and and complaining, maybe that's one of the virtues we could pray uh, for the intercession through St. Joseph uh, to God. Uh, to bless us with a little more patience and maybe a little more quiet. And actually, now that I hear myself say that, I've talked to my students. I teach undergrads, as you know, at college. And I remember one of my students saying, I I said, is there ever a time when you're not listening to music, okay, or something with your earbuds or in? And she said to me, no, she said, in fact, I, I go to sleep with my television on. I wake up, it's already on. I put my earbuds in as soon as I do and listen to music all the time. And she said, and I said, well, when do you have any quiet time? Like, like the virtue of St. Joseph, do you know, quiet because we don't know too much about him in the, in the, in the Bible. And she said, oh, 
that would frighten me to death. And I, you know, I was very taken aback by that, John. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate, isn't it, that we don't spend more quiet time, especially in prayer, don't you think? Well, without a doubt, uh, it's uh, it's it's really uh, uh, amazing that that some folks are literally almost afraid of of quiet, uh, of no TV, no radio, no noise in the background. Exactly, exactly. But to come out and say that, you know, oh, that would scare me. Well, what what are you afraid of? What in silence frightens you most, okay? Uh, so it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I'm sorry to say that I think some of our younger generation are so overexposed to noise and to listening and to having some kind of stimulation in their ears that they don't have any time or make any time for quiet. And, and I think that they're, they're robbing themselves or missing out on something wonderful. And that's something that could draw them much, much closer uh, to, to God and to the saints, particularly since you mentioned her, I talk about another teacher, uh, Catherine Drexel, whose uh, feast day we celebrate today. It's unfortunate, if I may say this, that she died in March. It's too bad, I think, that she didn't die in, the, uh, in February, the uh, month of uh, Black History Month, because she is the one, as you know, who founded uh, Xavier University in, uh, in, L- in, uh, in Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles, I'm sorry, in New Orleans, uh, X-U-L-A, uh, the uh, Xavier University in, in uh, Louisiana. And they can now boast that they, their university was founded by a saint. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and we honor her her, her today. And uh, she obviously had a, a big heart uh, for uh, not only uh, African-Americans, but also the, the Native Americans. But uh, back to yes, St. Joseph. Yes. Um, I loved your yes, article yes. Uh, on uh, St. Joseph, the teacher. In fact, I named my son Joseph after uh, the great St. Joseph. And, you know, oh, uh, there's not much about him in, 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 in Scripture, uh, per se. Uh, there's not a single no. word, he, as you said, he's silent in the Bible. But, you know, a picture uh, can speak a thousand words. We see statues. We see holy cards of St. Joseph holding uh, the baby Jesus uh, all the time. Can you imagine how much he taught and influenced uh, the baby Jesus, the young uh, Jesus, uh, when he was a boy? Uh, Basically, uh, that was his role model. Absolutely. And I have in my article, I mentioned a talk that I was listening to by Phyllis Cano, and she had such a wonderful image when she said, uh, you know, sometimes when we as adults, we hear ourselves talking and we hear ourselves repeating actually words that our parents may have spoken to us. And she, she had this wonderful image. She said, I think that when Jesus was in the carpenter shop with Joseph, Joseph may have said to him at one point, okay, well, let's start. Uh, let's start by making uh, a yoke. That's easy. And it makes the burden light. And then I thought, you know, this is exactly what Jesus said many, many years later. You know, take, your yoke upon, take my yoke upon your shoulder. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He may have heard that from his teacher, foster father, St. Joseph, in the carpenter shop. I think that's a wonderful image, and uh, and that's actually some of the holy homework that I would like to pass on to people today, our listeners. Uh, find a picture of 
St. Joseph with the baby, with, excuse me, the teenage, or teenager Joseph, a teenager Jesus, rather, and uh, in the carpenter shop. And put that up on the fridge every time you walk by. Say a prayer of thanksgiving to our, our fathers, to our mothers, our first teachers, which is what they were, and also to our other teachers in life who have taught us our faith and passed on the faith to us uh, with such a, not just our education, of course, we have to be grateful for that, but also our religious faith and our religious education as well. Now, Father Rob, you mentioned all the different titles of St. Joseph in the litany, and they're all very beautiful. There's one that, you know, is easy to not notice, and that is example to parents. That actually is in the litany. Can you talk about St. Joseph, the teacher, as a great reminder for us parents of the great responsibility that we have to teach our children about the Catholic faith? Absolutely. Uh, it's foremost. And I think that one of the questions that we're going to be asked as parents, those of us who are parents and have children, when we get to the pearly gates, if um, God is going to say, how did you educate your children about me? I, I think God is going to ask that question because that is part of our responsibility, isn't it? As parents uh, to, to teach, you know, of course, we have to protect our kids. Uh, we have to educate them. We have to teach them manners. Uh, we have to teach them a lot of things. But we also have to teach them the faith. And I, I think that's so very, very important. It's certainly a title, an attribute of St. Joseph. Again, we can pray as parents for the intercession of St. Joseph to help us be better teachers as parents and better teachers in our faith, which means we have to practice our faith too. Okay, we can't just say, "Okay, it's such such a time you go off to church. I'm going to sit here in the car, or I'm going to wait here at home." No, 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 no. We have to teach also by example, and I think that's also very important. That's certainly what Saint Joseph did, and that's what Jesus grew up around. I mean, you just talked about this man who murdered his wife and his his son. You know, C.S. Lewis once said, "Charity begins at home." And unfortunately, so does uncharity. And that was a very good example. That's what I was thinking about as, as you were reporting the news. You know, we have to counterbalance that. We do as parents to teach our children the faith and to pass that on to them because they see us practicing it. I think that's very, very important. I'm so glad that you named your son Joseph. He's Joseph Dominic, after St. Joseph and uh, the great uh, St. Dominic, the founder of the Dominicans. My wife was a third-order Dominican at the time, and so uh, you put the two together. That's a, it's a, a pretty good combo. Absolutely, absolutely. God bless you, and God bless them. Thank you, and Father God Bob. Bless us all. You're uh, real quick, uh, again, uh, your uh, holy homework again uh, for this month of March. Yes. Uh, so uh, go on the internet, try and find a picture of St. Joseph in the carpenter shop with a, like a teenage kind of uh, Jesus teaching him carpentry and put that uh, image, print it out, put it on the fridge. And then every time you go by that image, okay, every time you go by the image of Jesus, uh, of Joseph teaching Jesus in the carpentry shop, say a special prayer and remembrance for our fathers and mothers who have taught us, our first parents who are our first teachers, and all of our subsequent educators, and now a little prayer for them too, who positively impacted our wisdom and our faith. St. Joseph, humble tutor, pray for us. Amen. 
Father Bob, as always, uh, just a joy to be with you. Uh, thanks so Thank much you. uh, for your perspective and uh, your, your love you. of St. Joseph. Uh, thanks again. Thank you. God bless. Father Bob Pegliari, columnist for thegoodnewsroom.org, formerly the Catholic New York, as well as a longtime regular contributor to Morning Air. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Uh, Dr. J.J. Wright, the director of the University of Notre Dame Folk Choir, uh, will be with us to discuss their new album on Christ's Passion, which was recorded in Jerusalem. So stay with us as Morning Air continues on this first Friday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Levitt on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much, uh, for tuning in on this first Friday here in the first week of Lent on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's always a joy and a privilege to be with you, our Relevant Radio listeners. You are our family. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Luke 11, 9, and 10. Jesus the Lord says, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. During this Lent, we are called to prayer, to pray with great childlike trust. The Lord wants us to pray with gratitude and to keep asking, knowing that the Lord knows what is best for you. God answers our prayers uh, if they are according to his will. We may not always like the answer, but he does answer us. So you shouldn't quit. Don't give up. Keep on knocking and uh, keep on seeking and asking because God will answer you. We always pray with great confidence that prayer from the Chapel of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. Our number, once again, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. Now, traditionally, uh, on Fridays in Lent, we pray the Stations of the Cross to meditate on the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's number of different ways to do this, but the Notre Dame Folk Choir has just recently released, in fact, on Ash Wednesday, a new album called The Passion that invites listeners to find themselves in the story and to contemplate the experience of Christ's passion. Listen to part of Mary's song from The Passion by the Notre Dame Folk Choir. Mother, were you not invited into this life of pain? You shared his cries that night in Bethlehem. The brambles twisted on his head were placed there, and you answered yes. And all the countless whips they give are granted him by love's curse. Powerful scene from the Passion. Joining us live from South Bend, Indiana, is Dr. J.J. Wright, the director of the Notre Dame Folk Choir, to talk about this new album on Christ's Passion, which was recorded in Jerusalem. Dr. Wright has established himself as an eclectic and prolific musician, a composer and director in both jazz and sacred music. He trained in jazz at the New School for Jazz in New York City, and he studies sacred music in 
in Rome. In November 2016, JJ's uh, composition, O Emanuel, debuted at the top of the Billboard Classical Charts, where it remained for eight weeks. Good morning, JJ. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Great to be with you here on Morning Air for the first time. Morning, John. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I, we just heard that little excerpt uh, from uh, the Passion. Uh, can you uh, tell us more about Notre Dame's uh, folk choir and, and this just recently released uh, new album, The Passion? Absolutely. Yeah, the Notre Dame Folk Choir is a liturgical choir. So we sing every Sunday in the Basilica of the Sacred Heart on Notre Dame's campus uh, during the academic year uh, for the 12 p.m. Mass. And uh, in addition to our weekly ministry singing for Mass, we, um, the Folk Choir has 11 CDs. Uh, every year we take a tour. Um, this was a larger scale project because uh, during the time of COVID, we, we weren't able to sing um, just because of everything that was happening. So we had the time to really kind of enter deeply into uh, prayer and contemplation around the passion and create a new setting of it. Ultimately, uh, we got to go, to, as you said, to Jerusalem, um, and we made a pilgrimage um, for eight days. And during that pilgrimage, we had the opportunity to record this piece uh, at the Jerusalem Music Center. So an incredible experience where, for example, we, we would get to go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in the morning um, one day, and then which is where the site where the crucifixion um, and anointing happened. Um, and then that evening, we'd get to go into the studio and record what you just heard there, which is uh, Mary singing um, at, during the crucifixion scene of the Passion. So just an absolutely unbelievable experience. JJ, what was the reaction of uh, the members of the choir, uh, these young students there uh, on the very ground, uh, on the very land that, that our Lord and our Blessed Mother uh, actually walked? Uh, it had to be awe-inspiring for them. It was, and it, it, I think the most important thing about it is that it, it connected it to real life for them. And uh, one of our biggest goals in the folk choir is faith formation, because we, uh, our students come from every discipline in the university. We have students in every major, every grade level. And what we want them to walk away with is uh, an exper a real experience of faith and a real experience of being able to carry that faith uh, forward in their own lives when they leave the university. So... We, we, of course, meditated so deeply on the story and the scripture of the Passion, but to be able to go to the place connected to this, the actual sites, and, and to be able to do it in the community um, that we sing with every week and that we pray with every week was just, uh, like you said, it was, it was awe-inspiring and, and transformational in a way that um, uh, I never could have expected. Um, what did you hear uh, from the students? Uh, is there any, any uh, stories you can share with us ab about how much it touched uh, their lives? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing was that, you know, when we created the piece, um, we invited the students into the process of, of that creative process. Um, so we really, we, we kind of just taught them how to compose, how to write poetry. And um, the biggest thing with that is... Um, we, we used things that were similar to like the Ignatian spiritual exercises. So in contemplative prayer. So really quickly, what that means is um, we would maybe uh, take a story from scripture and we would um, place ourselves inside it. So let's take, for example, the story of Peter and, and his denial of Jesus um, in the courtyard after he's been arrested. You know, we'd, we'd open up that scripture, we'd read it in a group. Um, and then we'd kind of, 
offer our first reactions, but then read it again and, and place ourselves in the experience of Peter, place ourselves in the experience of the, the people who were accusing him. And through that experience, um, we invited the students to, to talk about the things that were happening in their own lives. Um, so we, what we like to say is the, by creating this passion, we created a framework for our students to learn how to talk about the hardest things in their life through the lens of faith. And um, that in itself became an absolutely beautiful witness because um, when it comes to faith, when it comes to the church, um, young people are, are struggling to, to find their place in it sometimes. They're struggling to find what it means for them to believe. And when you can kind of um, give them the agency to, um, to take hold of that and really put themselves into the life of faith, um, it, it gives them a different type of... Um, uh, of ability to to have faith, and so it's that's that was really kind of the biggest takeaway from the project. JJ, um, what was it like uh, to record the crucifixion scene? <laughs> Obviously, uh, many of us have seen the Passion of the Christ. I imagine uh, many of your students have as well. Uh, did the Passion movie influence uh, how you presented uh, the crucifixion scene uh, in your CD? It did in, in that, um, I mean, everyone's kind of seen that movie, so it's, uh, it, you can't really um, get away from it in a sense. Um, in, a, in another sense, um, because that movie exists, we wanted to kind of, quote-unquote, say something different. And one of the things that we really um, hoped we could bring out in the crucifixion was this idea of tenderness. Um, and, and like you just heard, that song that Mary sings is from the foot of the cross, and um, the, the crucifixion is obviously such an extreme scene. Jesus is up on the cross. He's, he's dying. He's, he's offering his last words to, to his friends and to the world. And amidst all of that, and amidst all of the pain and suffering, there's still this incredible tenderness of um, Jesus saying to his mother, behold your son, and saying to his, one of his best friends, John, behold your mother. And uh, so, so we really um, we wanted to be able to, to let these two kind of um, extremes live next to each other, this idea of tenderness and, and sort of extreme pain. And, um, and that was really representative of the, of the students' experience. Um, they're, they're used to living in a world where, where they're bouncing back and forth. We know we, we live in a society with uh, increased polarization, as, as people like to say. And they very much feel that. And instead of kind of looking away or, or turning our backs on the idea that there are, there's so much happening, we wanted to create an environment where the students could be present to both of these things at the same time. Now, uh, J.J., and we are uh, chatting this morning with Dr. J.J. Wright, the director of the University of Notre Dame uh, Folk Choir, talking about uh, this new, uh, beautifully, uh, just recently released uh, album uh, on Christ's Passion uh, recorded in Jerusalem. Um, J.J., um, in support of your album, uh, the Folk Choir is uh, embarking on an East Coast tour. Um, what, uh, what cities are you guys headed to? Well, we're going to Naples, Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Washington, D.C., New York City, and Pittsburgh. And um, you'd hear the, the music that you just heard from the, or the music from the album. But in addition, the, the passion is fully staged. So we have uh, John and Magdalene are kind of like our narrators. They take us from, from Bethany to Golgotha, essentially. Um, and all the while, you have this music that is interjecting and helping you enter more deeply into the story. 
Um, but there's also, you know, fully professional lights and, and a projection in the back designed by a, a designer who works on Broadway. And, um, and it's really kind of, a, we wanted to create a really immersive and devotional experience that people could um, enter into during Lent to uh, experience the passion in a new way. Now, JJ, uh, your uh, choir, uh, the f- folk choir of Notre Dame, uh, is very blessed uh, to be able uh, to uh, uh, play liturgical music uh, right there in uh, that beautiful basilica that I've had the chance to visit many times, uh, the Basilica of the Sacred Heart, uh, with the backdrop of uh, uh, the Lady on the Golden Dome and, and the grotto right uh, close by. I mean, you guys have a wonderful mm-hmm. setting. Can you talk about the power of liturgical music? to touch hearts. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the things I always love to say about music is that it has this ability to uh, kind of transcend the intellect. It can go kind of straight through what we think into our hearts. And um, when we can create um, this sort of communal experience of, of music and of prayer, um, it's able to touch our hearts as the, as the people kind of performing it, but also the congregation's heart in, in a different way. And um, it's one of the things that I think helps us grow closer to God. It helps us grow closer in prayer in a way that um, it, it's just different than other experiences. It's different than reading. It's different than watching something because it's, it really does have the ability to just go straight into your heart. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that uh, the Lady on the Golden Dome, our Blessed Mother, is smiling down uh, on your choir. Uh, where can people uh, purchase uh, the album? Uh, if you go to folkchoir.com, F-O-L-K-C-H-O-I-R.com, um, you can purchase the album there. You can listen on all of your um, streaming services, Apple Music and Spotify. Um, you can watch videos. There's all kinds of things that would help you learn more about the project and, and enter into prayer with us during this Lenten season. Fantastic. Folkchoir.com. JJ, thanks so much for, for being with us this morning. Really appreciate it. Many blessings going forward uh, with the Notre Dame Choir. Thank you, John. I appreciate you having me. Dr. J.J. Wright, the director of the Notre Dame Folk Choir and the Passion CD. We need to take a short time out when we come back. Bishop Daniel Muggenberg will look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Leveron. Stay with us. There's much more to come after this. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview, this is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air on another Friday dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. And now it's time to look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Always keep in mind that the Word of God in the Gospels, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, is powerful. When the Gospel, the Book Eternal, is proclaimed, Christ is passing by. Jesus is speaking to you. So listen carefully, folks, as Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, Bishop of Reno, Nevada, shares his weekly reflection on this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance. Our Gospel reading for the second Sunday in Lent comes from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. 
Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Time now to go in depth for a bigger look at that gospel reading for this uh, second Sunday of Lent, coming up from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Joining us, the Bishop of Reno, Nevada, Bishop Daniel Muggenberg. Bishop Muggenberg, always great to have you along. And great to be here, Glenn. Talking today about a mountaintop experience, the transfiguration. The disciples had a tremendous experience with Jesus, something that our Lord wanted them to have so that they would be sustained um, as they continued in their journey to Jerusalem and as they would witness his passion and his death on the cross. Jesus wanted them to remember this moment um, because this is what would give them hope in the midst of that great sadness really to, to buck them up for what was to come. But uh, for, for all of us, really, uh, those mountaintop moments can be kind of consolations from the Lord to, to keep us going from mountaintop to mountaintop, because it's, it's not all on the mountaintop all the time. No, it isn't. Uh, mountaintop experiences are real. You know, in all of our lives, there are times when we just have intense awarenesses of God's presence or God's love or God's providence in our lives, oftentimes through the Lord's saving grace, you know, taking place in very practical ways. But we don't always live in those moments. Uh, those moments are there to remind us um, of God's presence always with us, you know, even when we may not experience it in the way that we would like, but we can still trust it. And so mountaintop experiences for all of us are meant to be enduring sources of consolation and encouragement. And it's important that we remember those. Certainly St. Ignatius, you know, built that into his own uh, retreat experience and the spiritual exercises, calling to mind experiences of God's love and being filled with gratitude so that we could persevere through the dry and difficult moments we face. And I'll always remember, even way back to high school youth group, a couple different retreats where I remember feeling that, wow, this was the best place to be, feeling completely loved and, and all of that. And uh, definitely those mountaintop experiences stick with you. And it's wise of us to revisit those in our mind and spirit from time to time to, to kind of help us through. The other thing with mountaintop experiences is we often want to stay there as opposed to, you know, be assigned to take this energy and go do good elsewhere. And now for Peter, with wanting to build the tents, was it just him wanting to be helpful or he just wanted to he wanted to put down stakes and, and stay there a long time well, I think there are a couple of um, meanings to that particular effort on Peter's part. Uh, one of them certainly is that Peter wanted to preserve that moment and to stay in that moment, you know, and that may have been because Peter might have been following Jesus for the sake of um, a certain temporal or worldly glorious experience. You know, certainly Peter had hoped that Jesus uh, would, would be a certain kind of Messiah, and Jesus's predictions of his passion and his death in Jerusalem just didn't fit well with Peter's um, understanding of, of what it meant to be the Messiah. So for Peter, this is kind of like, this is the moment of faith that he's been living for, you know, and um, and so he wants to stay there. Why go on to Jerusalem? You know, let's just stay in this moment of glory. Let's freeze it. Let's preserve it. But what Peter doesn't realize is that um, if we stop our journey of faith, 
on in any of those moments of comfort, um, you know, then we actually become complacent in our faith and we fail to finish our journey with Jesus. And so our faith is manifested in our ability to faithfully follow where Jesus leads, not in stopping short at a place that we find comfortable. Was part of it too maybe Peter's desire to maybe uh, sidetrack Jesus a little bit so he did not have to go forward to giving his life? Oh, that's a very interesting insight. Certainly, Jesus, uh, Peter was following Jesus, and as a follower of Jesus, if Jesus embraces his passion and death and suffering, then Peter realizes that he may be called to do the same thing. So, the easiest way to steer his own life, you know, into a place of comfort uh, is to steer Jesus into a place of comfort or try to do that. You know, in some ways, this is a continuing temptation that Jesus experiences. Um, as we read about last week in the in the temptations in the desert, now Jesus almost is being tempted by Peter to stop short of fulfilling his destiny in Jerusalem. Also, maybe just a, a word or thought or two on uh, the others on the mountain and their meanings, both Moses and Elijah being there. There are um, all sorts of interpretations for why Moses and Elijah appear in this particular scene. Now, certainly, you know, Moses um, is the great um, prophetic figure who gave us the law, and Elijah represents all the prophets. So between the law and the prophets, you have all of the Old Testament, and then Jesus, of course, represents the New Covenant, the New Testament. So it can be the harm the harmony of God's revelation as it has occurred throughout the history of Israel and as it is being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Other people look at Moses and Elijah as examples of people who suffered for their fidelity and in one way or another were saved at the moment of death. Um, through the Assumption of Moses, one of the intertestamental apocryphal documents, or through Elijah being taken up in the fiery chariot. And of course, that will take place in Jesus's life through the resurrection as well. So um, there can be different ways of, of interpreting their presence, but it seems to be that Peter is misunderstanding their presence. Namely, Peter is seeing his friend Jesus in the midst of these great people of faith, Moses and Elijah. And so Peter mistakenly thinks that Jesus is the one being honored by them, whereas in fact, it is Jesus who is honoring and fulfilling um, Moses and Elijah's work. And so uh, Peter has to be corrected, and that's why the voice of the Father is so important in this passage. One of the, the few mentions in Scripture of uh, the New Testament, especially of the voice of the Father, and of course the, the reaction, one of uh, great fear on, on part of the disciples as well. Uh, it, it is great. I mean, any time that we stand in the presence of God, we, we, we really have to experience that spiritual awe uh, as the creature before the Creator. Um, but in this particular moment, there's, there's a particular, I think, um, insight and awareness that the disciples gain. Because, you know, Peter is so busy trying to interpret what's happening. Notice how many times in this passage we're told that Peter was talking. So Peter was actually talking before he was understanding. And he was forcing his premature and incorrect interpretation of the events um, on, on what was happening. So he was jumping to conclusions. And because of that, he was really missing the point. So the father has to interrupt Peter. And the father has to say, Peter, this is my beloved son. This is not just a prophet. This is not just a, the Messiah. This is not just a miracle worker. This is my beloved son. And because Jesus is my beloved son, Peter, listen to him. Don't spend all your time talking 
and trying to force your interpretation on events. Listen to him. Let him interpret the events for you. And whenever you're seeking guidance, Peter, rather than just consulting the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, consult my son, because he alone is the son of God. And so he alone can reveal perfectly the will of the Father. So listen to him. That's a very powerful statement to all of us in this 40 days of Lent. So good for uh, those who make a living talking on the radio, perhaps, too, to be uh, listening and not just uh, talking all the time as well. And and there we have also uh, Jesus as the comforter. I was saying, rise, do not be afraid. <laughs> he is the comforter. The most commonly you know, quoted statement of Jesus is, be not afraid. Um, Jesus wants Peter to receive this moment as it's intended to be. And it's intended to be a moment of consolation, a moment of direction, a moment of encouragement. It's not to meant to be a moment of intimidation or a moment of reprimand necessarily. And so Peter needs to be encouraged. Um, to receive this moment as Jesus wants him to receive it. And so Jesus doesn't want him to be filled with fear. He wants him to be filled with confidence and with trust because he has now experienced the presence of God revealed in Jesus himself. And Bishop Muggenberg, we always seem to get a, a chuckle out of the times in Scripture when Christ does something amazing and then says, shh, don't tell anybody, at least not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, people refer to that as the Messianic secret Um uh, and there's lots of ways in which we can understand it, but certainly Jesus shared very privileged and we would even say personal insights with the disciples, insights that he wanted all disciples to have, but in, in, in proper time. And uh, so Jesus shares this graced moment with Peter, James, and John, and he doesn't say, you know, keep it secret forever. He says, you know, until the Son of Man rises, just don't tell anyone about this. So eventually this will become part of the deposit of faith, part of the great mystery of our Lord's revelation. But it needs to unfold in proper time, and, uh, and the disciples will do that, you know, as they, uh, as they re uh, record the events and ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, and as they tell the story of our Lord's saving work um, in their preaching. Mm, so much fun to explore Scripture with you each and every week, Bishop Muggen. Berger, if you'd be so kind as to wrap us up this week with your blessing. The Lord be with you. And may the blessing of Almighty God, who inspires us in this second Sunday of Lent, to listen to Jesus, always turn our hearts and minds to seek the Lord's guidance. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Bishop Muggenberg. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called From the Ashes. Thomas Edison invented the microphone, the phonograph, the incandescent light, the storage battery, talking movies, and more than 1,000 other things. December of 1914, he'd worked for 10 years on a storage battery. This had greatly strained his finances. This particular evening, spontaneous combustion had broken out in the film room. Within minutes, all of the packing compounds, celluloid for records and film, and other flammable goods were in flames. Fire companies from eight surrounding towns arrived, but the heat was so intense and the water pressure so low, the attempt to douse the flames was futile. Everything was destroyed. Edison was 67. With all of his assets going up in a whoosh, Although the damage exceeded $2 million, the buildings were only insured for $238,000 because they were made of concrete and thought to be fireproof. Would his spirit be broken? The inventor's 24-year-old son, Charles, searched frantically for his father. He finally found him calmly watching the fire, his face glowing in the reflection. 
his white hair blowing in the wind. My heart ached for him, said Charles. He was 67, no longer a young man, and everything was going up in flames. When he saw me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? When I told him I didn't know, he said, find her, bring her here. She'll never see anything like this as long as she lives. The next morning, Edison looked at the ruins and said, there's great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. Three weeks after the fire, Edison managed to deliver the first phonograph. From Psalm 71:20, Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again from the depths of the earth. You will again bring me up. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Really appreciated it coming up in the next hour here on Morning Air. Catholic and pro-life attorney Mary Helen Fiorito will be with us to talk about how the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs was banned from attending an annual medical education conference. Plus, you'll hear my inspirational conversation with two-time Super Bowl champion Harrison Butker of the Kansas City Chiefs, who shared his passion for our Lord Jesus Christ, our Blessed Mother, Our Lady, and he talked about becoming a saint. It is a powerful interview. Stay with us. We have a fantastic uh, hour number two of the program on this first Friday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.